Welcome to our Impact Campus Ministries Bible Study. If you missed us in person this week, uh, you can join us now as we spend some time in the Gospels and take a look at how Jesus interacts with his disciples. Uh, This is Tom Nyhart with my lovely wife, Jill. Good to be here. Thank you. I'm going to start off with a story. Choir my senior year was an interesting, interesting year. I never really got into trouble. I could really couldn't because my mom was a teacher in the elementary school. But my senior year in particular, we had a bunch of punk freshmen. And I say that because they were really horrible. And I remember a particular day in choir right towards the end of my senior year. All year long, these, these freshmen were just being horrible. They, I remember tacks on the chairs, particularly to the seniors. And this particular day, um, there was a kid in front of me. And he was messing with me. He put his fist up in my face, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But the freshman kid behind me then proceeded to take my head and push it forward and smash it into the kid's fist. I'm pretty mild-mannered. Yeah, you were always pretty cool about things. Pretty calm, pretty collected. But that was an instant, instant angry. In one motion, I turned and swung and punched this kid, caught him on the lip, um, blood going everywhere, and it's just kind of one of those things. And I know we've all done things that um, we've gotten busted for or even gotten caught while we were doing it. Maybe we got in trouble after the fact, um, but we've all done those things. And I know this story of mine isn't um, any big deal, but it was a case where I got busted and immediately felt um, I was still angry, but then I was embarrassed. Last day of my senior year of high school, I had in-school suspension, and it was just kind of one of those things of never getting into trouble, but way to go out with a bang. And I know my wife has a story. Oh, we're going to go there. We are going to go there. <laughs> yeah, um... Well, she's now my sister-in-law, so I think I could probably say Kim's name because everybody knows her. Um, But she got to school one day and said, you know, we should really go to the mall today and not go to school. And I was kind of like, that's a bad idea. We've already been seen. They're going to know. She's like, ah, they won't know. Let's go. So we took off and we went to the mall for the day. Fun fact, my English teacher, you know who you are. You were there looking inside Maurice's as we were looking out of Maurice's, and you know we got that hot Sam pretzel together. Anyway, on the way home, we thought we had gotten away with it, you know. We had gotten to my house, we did everything, but on the drive, we actually passed Mr. Chittam, who was our assistant principal, and he waved at us. Needless to say, we didn't get away with it, and both Kim and I got a little bit of a in-school suspension for that, but... I was really fortunate. My principal liked me, and I was a pretty good kid, so he just made me stay until the school, you know, cleared out, and then he let me go home, so I probably only served 45 minutes out of a five-day, one-hour suspension, but nonetheless, I got busted. I was really in more trouble with my mom because we left the ketchup on the counter. So how did that make you feel, getting busted? It just, you know, you knew you did something you weren't supposed to do, and it wasn't the end of the world and I was a good kid but I still I was embarrassed and I was kind of bummed and I had to be late for a couple of things because I had to stay a little longer after school and it was embarrassing. 
Well, we're going to jump into John chapter 8, and we're going to read several verses about a story that um, most of us, if you've gone to church, probably know pretty well. You want me to read 8? So it's John 8, 1 through 11. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And what passage is that referring to? Oh, it's referring to the Deuteronomy passage, you mean. Yeah, Deuteronomy 22.22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge evil from Israel. So reading through that first section of text, teachers of the law and the Pharisees that brought this woman already weren't necessarily following the complete law because who's missing? Yeah, where's the man? I mean, you can't get caught caught in adultery by yourself, really. So, Yeah, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Thinking about uh, the woman that they brought before Jesus, um, they obviously are trying to use her as an, as an example, trying to use her as a trap, kind of as bait. So I wonder what, wonder what the woman felt. Well, she's probably embarrassed. I mean, she's been caught in this situation. Um, I'd guess she's probably wondering, like, why is the man not here? Why am I the only one being attacked? Valid question. So when we think about the, this part of the story, think about this text, what are some of the things that stands out? Well, I think it's really interesting that the older people leave first. I wonder why that is. Well, I'd like to say it's their experience and that they've had more life, that they realize they have flaws and they've not done everything perfect themselves and they're not without sin. So if they were in that position, maybe somebody would have thrown a stone at them. A little more wisdom maybe behind the years? You like to think so. I would hope so. I would really love to know what Jesus wrote in the sand. The text doesn't tell us. I know different scholars have surmised that he wrote down their sins. We really don't know, but very clearly, not only from what he says— let uh, he is who is without sin um, cast, cast first, the first yeah. stone. But whatever it is that he wrote in the sand as well really must have gotten under their skin. I really convicted him because, like you said, the oldest ones left first. Why did they do that? But the other, the follow-up question is why were the younger ones why did they slower to let yeah. go of this? Yeah, uh, I thought it was interesting. Somebody spoke up at our Bible study this past week and said the younger ones are like more you know convicted that they're right more passionate that's the word passionate yeah and when we see that in college students college students tend to be more passionate about the things that they grab onto the causes that they grab onto and that's not wrong sometimes i wish that we'd get a little more passionate about some things and they they follow it they chase it grab it with more energy because they have more energy this is true. Um, I also wonder if um, pride isn't part of it, that in that desire to um, trap Jesus, 
but in and in the desire to supposedly follow the law, that uh, they were so much slower to let go of the pride as well as let the past passion and the energy go and follow the path of the older ones and, and drop their stones and go. And maybe that's the wisdom that we've had to eat a little more crow for a little bit longer, that we've lost that pride factor a little bit more because we know that we're not always right, even though sometimes it's perceived differently. One of the things that I see coming out of this passage is that love and mercy and grace is is the greater thing. I mean, Jesus would have been within his rights to have stoned the woman or had her stoned. Granted, the man should have also been there because the law says if they're caught, both the man and the woman should be stoned. So he would have been technically within his rights to have said, yes, stone her. But he was also well aware of the trap they were setting. So he never answers their question. But out of this, we see that love, mercy, and grace trumps the technicality of, of, of the situation. Now, that doesn't mean there would never be any consequences. He doesn't let the woman off the hook. But Jesus tells her simply not to do it again. And adultery is actually a sin, um, but he doesn't condemn her for it. He simply says, knock it off. Knock it off. Don't do it. <laughs> And this makes sense uh, for Jesus Jesus to say this. Jewish understanding of error and sin focuses more on a wrong behavior and emphasis on what a person does. And now the Western world, and the Greek and Roman world, which America is born out of, the Greek and Roman culture, error and sin is viewed as a wrong belief or incorrect thinking with emphasis on what a person knows. So if you have the right knowledge, the right teaching, the right doctrine, you won't sin. And um, Jesus seems to follow the Jewish idea of, you know, error and sin is a wrong behavior. If you're sinning, stop doing that action. I mean, that seems it sounds to be, so simple. It does sound simple, and it seems to be what he's saying in this. Um, well, let's look at another interaction that Jesus has in John. And this time it is with the blind man. It is out of John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means send. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man? who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. 
He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and I washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. I find it interesting the way this passage starts out. Um, Going back to verse 2 in the disciples' question, what is it they asked again? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So I find that interesting that the disciples would ask that. Um, We've run into that question before. Is when something bad that happens, is it the result of somebody's sin? And there's there's a passage in Luke where Jesus addresses that and says, the Galileans whose blood was shed, um, were they at fault? You know, did they sin, essentially, um, that caused their bloodshed? Or um, the ones that the, the Tower of Siloam fell on, um, did they sin? Uh, was that their fault? And so Jesus kind of addresses this question. But I, So I find it odd that the disciples would ask this. This must be uh, this idea that when you're lame, deaf, or some tragedy happens like this tower that must have been a fairly well-known event something like that happens it comes across that there was a real strong belief that somehow somewhere you did something or your parents did something to cause these things i think we see that sometimes now like you know why did this person get that we want to cause an effect we want a reason and sometimes it's that god's going to use it for something and that's exactly how Jesus responds. He says in, in the verse, when he answers that, um, that neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might dis- be displayed in him. So Jesus had a specific particular purpose in, in healing, this, healing this man and opening his eyes. So if we continue on in verses 9 through 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind now on the day which jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the sabbath therefore the pharisees asked him how he had received his sight he put mud on my eyes the man replied and i washed and now i see some of the pharisees said this man is not from god for he does not keep the sabbath but others asked how can a sinner perform such signs so they were divided then they turned again to the blind man what have you to say about him it was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. So here we come against uh, Jesus healing on the Sabbath again. It seems to be a common theme that runs throughout the Gospels. The rabbis would argue that not only should we love God as the greatest and most important command that comes out of Deuteronomy 4, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But also, um, some would argue that observation of the Sabbath was the second most important command. Now, we know from Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, that Jesus teaches and actually answers the question, what is the greatest command? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, he equates or nearly equates the second command as being as important as the first. He says, um, 
love God is the greatest command, but a second command is like it, love your neighbor. And so loving God and loving others is different than loving God and keeping the Sabbath. The command to keep the Sabbath really boils down to obedience being the second greatest command. And Jesus flat out says, second greatest command is love your neighbor. So how does love God and love others contradict love God and be obedient? Because Jesus seems to poke at this all the time. That's less about the law and more about the intent. It places people before, first. Before the rules, yeah. And I kind of think that circles back to what he did with the woman caught in adultery. That, uh, yes, according to the rules, he could have said, yes, stone her, but instead he chose to show, chose to show love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now, in all of this, uh, we know that the Pharisees are furious with Jesus. Um, they th- threatened to throw God-fearing Jews out of the synagogue if anyone should confess that Jesus was the Christ. And this man's parents, if we were to read the whole story, um, they are so afraid that they don't really even stand up for their own son. But it's the son who is healed, and he dares to speak and challenge the leaders. Uh, Jesus opened his eyes. Can someone who is a sinner and not from God do that? And then they throw him out too. They're more concerned about, one, um, trying to stop this guy Jesus, and two, seem to be so much more concerned about keeping the law and being obedient, which isn't always wrong to want to honor God and follow the law. Yeah, but if he was really going to follow the law, that man would have been there too. You're talking about the man in the, with the first woman. story with yeah. the woman. Yeah, if they were really con- all of them were really concerned about following the law, they would have brought the man with the woman. But this group of Pharisees, while maybe you can admire their tenacity to want to hold to the law, the fact that they would condemn or criticize that Jesus actually healed somebody Feels like on they the missed Sabbath, the point. <laughs> it does feel like they missed the point. So when you think about the woman caught in adultery and the man born blind, who does it seem like Jesus is for? Uh, sinners, people like me, people who make mistakes, people who do everything right and sometimes life just goes wrong, people who are born different. And it seems like the people he challenges the most, the pe- people whose buttons he pushes the most are religious the, leaders. Are the religious leaders who should know, have their poop in a group, that loving God and loving others is just as important. They, they, they should know that. But it is clearly, clearly something they struggle with because Jesus kind of stretches their box, pushes them out of it a good bit. I mean, they've had all these years to know who God is and, and to study who God is, and yet they're more concerned about nailing Jesus, trapping Jesus, 
and dealing with him rather than being concerned about those who are struggling, those who are downtrodden. And so it would appear that every encounter with Jesus shows how he loves, shows his mercy, um, shows how he gives grace to down the downtrodden and the oppressed, shows mercy to those who the religious leaders thought were beneath them. And I think the lesson for us is who, who do we select? Who do we select out when we show mercy and love and kindness? Do we do that across the board? Or, or are we selective to, well, it's easy to love my friends, it's easy to love my family, but this person over here who is, is not the same as me or doesn't believe the same as me, uh, I, don't, I don't have to love him or I don't have to care for him. And I think Jesus, I think his example in how he interacts with all these different kind of people really show us otherwise. I think it's really cool. He sees everyone, not just the people that are just like him. He hears a lot of voices, different voices. That's pretty cool. So we're going to wrap that up for this week. Um, join us next week as we continue talking about the text. That sounds good. Thanks for being with us.